I kind of look to you, do I? Like this? Yeah, we can Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just film it. Uh, so we're recording right now. Oh. Since I'm the cameraman too, I'll kind of edit it, uh, <laughs> edit it later. So that's great. <laughs> so welcome to uh, another episode of the podcast, and our guest today is Laurel Buckingham. And uh, Laurel, you you've been a you've been in ministry now for like a pastor for how many years? I've been pa- preaching for over sixty years. Wow! And uh, pastored for over fifty years. Yeah. Right, so pastor of Moncton Wesleyan Church, and now the leader of the uh, yeah, I've pastored that one church for forty five years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry, and uh, you're you're running a leadership, the Laurel Buckingham Leadership Institute now. Right, so yeah, mm. so uh, thanks for doing this. I'm glad to have you. Uh, glad to have you here. And uh, so why don't we start out by just uh, if you want to give us a, like a little bit of your spiritual biography, your kind of mm-hmm. background, where you right. where you came from. Well, I was brought up on a farm. In a little community that's not even on the map, it's so small. Right. And uh, tremendous inferiority complex, almost probably to the point of being a mental condition. I was a terrible person in school. I spent four of the happiest years of my life in grades nine and ten, but <laughs> truly they weren't all that happy. And, uh, and, and so just felt like I was a nobody that could ever do anything. But I had a call that I just could not kill. It just it just kept intensifying until finally I yielded to the call, not knowing how in the world I would ever do what needed to be done because I just felt so extremely inadequate. I mean, uh, just beyond comprehension, really. Couldn't speak in public get scared to death every time I tried to, and I'd break down and cry, not because I was being blessed from the Lord or anything. It was just because I was scared to death. So that's kind of a little bit of the background. But then I ended up, and there's so much involved in all this, it would take forever to just talk about this kind of thing, but I'll try to say it quickly, uh, pastoring a little country circuit, three churches. One was in a village, and, and then I went from there to a, a little town, well, you really wouldn't call it a town, about 1,100 people. And we, and all these places we saw things really happen, you know. And then after that, I went to Moncton, New Brunswick, where I pastored for 45 years. Yes, and that grew to be uh, one of the largest churches in the, in the whole area, I think, uh, east of yeah. Montreal, right? Yes, yeah. it, it did. And and the interesting thing that a lot of people wouldn't realize, we had many, many building programs. <laughs> I should just tell you this. You, your people might uh, be interested in hearing this. When I first went there, we had a little church that sat on a piece of property that was that was all the property that the church had, was what the building sat on. Right. Now, that building now is gone. And just to give you an idea how much property we had, it's a parking spot for eight cars. Okay. That's all the property we had. And so now we've got a property that has parking for about 800 cars. You right, know? right. And, uh, and so several building programs. And, of course, in that day, that was a big undertaking because it wasn't the kind of thing that was done. In fact, here's an interesting thing. 
there, there was a belief, a strong belief, that churches should not be more than 300 people. And then you break off and, and, and send those out to start. Because that's how many the pastor can yeah, kind of handle right. on his that own, right? Of, yeah. That was kind yeah. of the idea. Yeah. And, and so to break that psychological barrier was quite a challenge, and we had to be deliberate, intentional, and focused in order to, to see the breakthroughs. But eventually... Uh, we built a 2,000-seat auditorium, which is the largest auditorium of any kind in Atlantic Canada. Now, there's coliseums, but not auditoriums. I'm not right. talking about church. I'm just right. talking about any which is kind of interesting that a church would be setting that kind of a pace, you know? Yeah, what a great idea that the church would be the leader of culture yeah. rather than the follower, right? And that kind of leaves me something I shouldn't get off here because you're not. But here, talking about that, I have been asked more than once to speak at the McCain Leadership Institute, which is for entrepreneurs, business people, totally. That's what they're all about, helping business people reach their full potential as a presenter. And I was told by several people that, they, they rate the speaker, that I had the highest marks of any speaker. But the part that just seemed so kind of exciting to me is that this would be coming from a pastor. What does a pastor know, you know, right, in the right. eyes of the, you know, those leaders right. and so on and so on. So it's been, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah. And biblical principles, you know, they're, yeah. they're truth and they work. Yes. They work whether or not, even if you're not a Christian... Yep. If you're applying biblical principles, they will work for you. Absolutely. And I understand. I haven't read this book, but there's a book on leadership, secular book, based on the leadership of Moses. Right, yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. And so uh, in your in your time at Monk, that, uh, that's longer than the average pastor spends at one church. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you, you, you kind of took that through a lot of different right. seasons and yep. phases, and you... You as a leader went through a lot of those phases as well. well. What were some of the, uh, what were some of the struggles that, uh, we'll talk about the wins too. But what were some of the like things that you went through there that were that were harder than well, people would realize? I love the question. I really do. In those early days, we had a legalistic, somewhat legal. It wasn't as extreme as some places. But traditional, because the church was 100 years old when I went there. My first Sunday there, we had 65 people. Now, that was it had a larger attendance than that but because it was a summer Sunday. But to break the back of that traditionalism and, to some degree, that legalism was an unbelievable challenge. And I didn't know how to do it. And I... I had weaknesses in They don't my really teach you that in school, do Well, they? <laughs> and I had my own insecurities and weaknesses that also added to the problem. You know, I had this great vision about what should be done, but I didn't understand the importance of helping people to understand the why it should be done. And if people do understand the why, which is no easy task to get them to understand the why, but if they do, they really do, the what is a simple matter. But I hadn't crossed the Y bridge, and so I tried to get the what done, and of course got all kinds of pushback. So it was extreme. 
the the pushback and the polarization for we had we were polarized for about six years took us three years to get into the worst of it and then three years to work our way out of it and I had to take full responsibility and and take say if it's going to be it's up to me as far as getting out of it so I would spend hours upon hours with individual influencers and that sort of thing and, and but here's the beauty of that once you've gone through all of that and it gets resolved nobody ever wants to go back there again so you've got a solid foundation then on which to to go forward and so and then there were other times when there was there was a lot of reinvention and of course one of my values maybe one of my higher values is the importance of change not the message but the methodology a method the methods that can connect with the culture of the day, speak the language of the culture of the day without compromising with the culture of the day. And that takes some real, insightful, creative understanding and doing to accomplish that. So we had to reinvent church several times, how we did it, and I had to reinvent me in how I led. So that those were challenging yeah, and that, I mean, one of the things I admire about you is just you is is that very thing. Uh, there's there's a few there's a, a few people like you and John Simons and Harry Wilson who who give me great great hope for growing older and <laughs> and still remaining flexible and and able to you know able to reach each generation, not just well. You find this one. interesting. Uh, I had this said to me several times, and even by staff members uh, in our church. The youngest person on staff was Pastor Buckingham. Well, it was it was because of my views of right. what ne we needed to do and how we needed to be continually in innovative and 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 be the f not the tails <laughs> the cow's tail. Right. But we had to be on the front of everything. Uh, even ahead of any business or anything else, you know. It seems like the Church of Jesus Christ should be the most creative, innovative organization on the face of the earth. Yeah, and, and I love it when there's, you know, when you go to an area and, and the church in the area has the best musicians and yeah, has, the, yeah. has the most creative people because that's it, the way it should be, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. and if, yeah. and I think uh, I think probably every pastor is is kind of wrestling right now with coming out of trying to come out of COVID with what is how do we do this? What does yeah. the church look like? It has yeah. it it has to be kind of reinvented. Well, you know, and all these crises that we go through, crisis can cultivate creativity. Doesn't necessarily cultivate it. But it can if we want it to. And COVID has been a great thing for my organization. We've done things we would never have done, discovered things we would never have discovered, made progress that we'd never made in various areas if it weren't for COVID. And, and when I think of the challenges in those early days, you know, um, it, it, they were... They were <laughs> They were exhausting, and and like I say, it's, when you'd have to deal with some of those issues, it was like somebody throwing you in a lake, and you couldn't swim, and you beat the lake dry trying to stay alive, you know. Right. And and one of the things I just would like to add here that, that does concern me a bit is the is the weakness that I see in leadership that should not exist in a God called person, and I like. 
old Nehemiah said. He said, first of all, what God put in my heart to do, and because God put in his heart to do, it seemed like his mentality was, it's got to get done. There's no ifs, ors, or ands about it. It's got to get done. Well, it was to build up the broken down walls. And that's kind of been my view as a pastor, is to build up the broken down walls of the declining church, so to speak. And, and then he got opposition like nobody in this world, that in today's world, have ever, has ever had to go through. He had people on the outside wanting to kill him. People that is supposed to be on his team wanting to kill him. So he had to watch his back, watch his front. But here he had a faith. He said, he said this, our God, he will prosper us. And we, because of that, we will arise and we will build. I love that spirit. Yeah, that, the persevering spirit. Oh, you've got to have. Uh, you've got to. You've got to have a solid. You've got to know why you're doing what you're doing, and then you have to persevere in it. Which obviously, if you were, you you had to spend uh, some time in those early years, kind of persevering, persevering through some of that oh. opposition, and a lot of people quit at the first sign of resistance. Yeah. I find. I well, find too, know, we've had it too easy, right? The, the interesting thing was there was a time in that when I was going through the worst of it. And by the way, when I was going through the worst of it, I was getting gr the greatest invitations to go other places that I ever received. Very tempting, right? Oh, extremely. Some of them were like <laughs> the salaries are twice as much as what I'm getting. I was getting the church was twice the size or the city was twice the size or whatever. And I often, I say now, we can sometimes get more diverted from God's will by the opportunities that come our way than the obstacles that we have to face. Right. And, and talking about the long-term thing, <laughs> I used to say, maybe still do some, if it weren't for pastors moving all the time, you all would go out of business. <laughs> right, <laughs> and so I I remember reading when I first went among the ten largest churches in the in North America were pastored by people who've been there an average of twenty six years, and I remember thinking, how in this world could somebody stay in a place for twenty six years? And I ended up being there for forty five. Well, I understand that because I've been here at Kingswood for about thirty eight, which, which was which was not my <laughs> which was was not my you know something I would have yeah. thought in the first year of teaching. Right. But, uh, and there are certain, you know, advantages to that. I well, think, there are advantages. Let yeah, me just yeah. say this as, as, a, as a, the leadership in the church. If, if things are going right and there's a good marriage between pastor and people and progress is being made, then I'm telling you what, uh, that's, that clarity and, and buy-in and sense of direction and all the rest. So much is lost when there's continual change. And, and everybody wants to be their own person. The poor people are thrown all over the place by one guy coming in wanting to do things one way, another guy coming in, another guy wanting to do some doing it different, you know, and it's tough on everybody. Yeah, because they've been there long term and they just kind of, it's like yeah. a ping pong match. Yeah. They, they see things moving back and forth. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. What were some of the uh, like major wins for you there in in Moncton? Where well, you know, the high points of the yeah. ministry for you? You know, uh, I love your questions <laughs> uh, because the major win because of the call was to be in harmony with what Jesus went to the cross for, and that the whole world be saved. And our focus was continually 
on seeing people one to Christ, seeing people's lives transformed by the power of the gospel. And that was kept before the people all the time. We just, I just had a guy in my church, who now is a high, or in my office, uh, well-known across Canada in a great organization, who's kind of brought up in our church, and he has served in some great churches. And he said something to me, it really surprised me. He said, I never have been in a church or seen a church where there is such a continual, consistent focus on evangelism as in the, your church. And, and yeah, I, I would agree with that observation. Well, you know. uh, and so the wins, it's not to grow the church just for the sake of growing a church. Right. It's growing a church for the sake of reaching the lost. And, and people somehow... They, they lose the understanding of that somehow or another. And, uh, and my Sunday, my last Sunday, or Sunday before my last Sunday, on that Sunday, we baptized 101 people. Wow. And I see, <laughs> when you see people's lives who have been changed, and baptism is representing that change, and the joy and the blessing and the excitement and all the rest that goes with it, that is what is more rewarding than anything else. And of course, to see some buildings built and to see certain attendance uh, uh, goals reached and all that sort of thing, that was all good but the, and, and wonderful and satisfying and rewarding because you know, you're, you're going up the current or going against the current and you're having uh, people who don't understand totally what, why you're doing what you're doing, and, and, and to see the results in spite of the difficulties is very rewarding. But the most rewarding, of course, is seeing the transformed lives. Yeah, and, and uh, the, the sense I get from you is, is, that, is that your focus is always on people. And I don't know if you, this, this happened a long time ago, I don't, it was significant for me, I, you probably don't even remember it, but uh, way back in the 90s, when I, back when I was a young guy, uh, I don't even know like, all the details of how it happened, but I, uh, I get invited to speak at, at Moncton West and, uh, and, uh, on a Sunday morning, which was a really big deal for me, and so my wife and I were there, and then you and, you and your wife uh, took us out for lunch after, and you were just so encouraging. Like you said, uh, looking back, it was probably a pretty mediocre sermon, but you said all kinds of wonderful things about it. And, uh, and I just, it just always stuck in my mind, like that's what a leader does. Well, like a leader takes the next generation and yeah. encourages them, right? Well, and, and just to say this, the last time you preached at our church, it was one of the greatest sermons I'd ever heard. And of course, why it was for me is because you were sharing so many experiences of seeing transformed lives and celebrating that. Uh, that's one of the things that we tried to do, and I didn't do it as well as I, now as I look back, I wish I had done it, but is celebrating a transformed life and having a well-done testimony, I mean well-prepared testimony right. of a transformed life will do more to stir people's hearts, both the Christians and the non-Christians, than the greatest sermon you'll ever hear. Yeah, because it's because it's a it's it's a life. It's a well. They're it's, the salespeople. We're the satisfied right? customers. Yeah. No, they're yeah. the we're the salespeople. They're <laughs> yeah, the satisfied customers. <laughs> right, right. You know. Yeah. yeah, and and I agree. And that's one of the things when we when we kind of when we lost the testimony service, you know, we we, we lost something there. It's come back in other ways. Well, I, and, I, yeah. I, that, that was yeah. a good loss in yeah. some ways yeah. because sometimes 
those spontaneous testimonies would have a downside right. <laughs> that kind of made it a wash. But just, just in case somebody's wondering about this, I believe strongly if you're going to have somebody, especially before a larger congregation, speak about what God has done in their life, it should be pre prepared and edited, if needs be, yes. by the leadership before the person gets up there and speaks. Because if they say something that may, they may not realize it, that inadvertently brings reproach upon the cause of Christ, then the power of that whole thing, as good as it might be, has been lost. Right, yeah, and a lot of churches have switched to, you know, kind of filming, because yeah. then you can edit it exactly. and make it's it, a way to go. make the story even more mm. powerful, because yeah. it's, absolutely uh, because you're, because you are editing, I yeah. guess, but yeah. True thing. And so, uh, kind of moving, moving on to uh, what you're, what you're doing now, uh, mm. I, my plan is hopefully to never retire, and I, I notice that about you. You're not really. Uh, You've just switched gears uh, into into the leadership institute. So yeah. talk a little bit about well, that. Well, I would like to say about the retirement yeah. thing just for a second. But uh, when you've got the call of God on you, if you've got your health, it would be criminal almost with the experience you've had, not to be multiplying in some way uh, what might be able to be multiplied by your own understanding and leadership and experience and so on. And I, I heard a saying, and I've added to it, life is not about pleasure. Life is about purpose. And when you have a purpose that you can feel good about and you feel it's the right kind of purpose, and what could be more of a right kind of purpose than what we're trying to accomplish, then that is your pleasure as you're seeing that purpose fulfilled. So I am having more fun than anybody on the face of this earth <laughs> because I am able now to be focused on my sweet spot, which is helping to cast vision. Uh, what we do is consultations with churches, and we've seen churches that have been in 25-year decline, some large churches, that have just been bleeding slowly, have gone in, done a consultation, which is just to make recommendations after doing a lot of interviews and focus groups and teaching and so on of what they need to do to go forward. And usually, almost always, they buy into those recommendations. I mean, hook, line, and sinker, they go after them like a hungry tiger to a piece of steak. And it's just shocking to see some of the monumental things that some churches have done as a result of our recommendations, and then suddenly, I mean suddenly, to see transformed lives, to see children's ministry go uh, uh, reinvented, re so to speak, and, and, uh, and revitalized. Uh, and, and I remember one church, just tell you this, I went in there and I preached early on in this whole process, and I could have shot a cannon down through that crowd and not hit anybody went back there after they had put the recommendations into practice after two or three years. The place was packed. They'd redone the whole auditorium, about a 500-seat auditorium. There were all kinds of baptisms that morning. The people, it was like a transformed church. And, and so one of the challenges is people don't see the value of this, and, and I have to almost sell it. Right, for people to understand right. its value. That's one thing. And then the thing that is just as valuable is 
the mentoring we do with cohorts of pastors. We have it online, and then we do it. Uh, of course, COVID shut us down for a while, but uh, we do it in, in person. We've done it over a period of a year, once a month, five hours at a time. And now we've got a two-day express mentoring, which probably is an oxymoron to say express mentoring <laughs> because it's hard to mentor in a fast way. But uh, that covers all those same things in a two-day period. We've got several of those lined up in the future, for the future. And then we do leadership conferences and stuff like that in churches. And we've done what's called the Believability Conference, which we were told is the largest of its kind ever here in Atlantic Canada, in Halifax, Yarmouth, Moncton twice. So these are exciting times. Yeah. Uh, so, what are what are the what are the challenges in leadership right now that people tell you about as you're as you're well, mentoring them? What I, I don't know that I'm going to answer your question the way maybe I should. Okay. But but I but here's the challenge: is just having leadership. Okay. <laughs> it, it seems like to me, maybe ninety percent of pastors are not real leaders. They are good shepherds. They may be great preachers. They may know how to do all the pastoral things, but understanding the leadership that is required to build something, to see something go forward in a, with vigor and strength and, and vitality, um, they don't understand what is entailed in real leadership. And that's one of the things that I, I, I love doing and unpacking is to help people that we're mentoring understand what internally is necessary for strength in leadership. Because if people don't understand those things and they're functioning from a position of fear and weakness, that ends up being bondage. And as a result, they either become dictatorial or they become take on a martyr complex and, and either one is just as bad as the other. It's either fight or flight, and either fighting everybody about anybody who disagrees with them and any questions them in any way, or they don't do anything and they just run from all the challenges. And, and so uh, we've tried to help people to understand the internal development that can totally set them free. I'll, I'll just say it this way. For the first 20 years of my ministry, I was in a greater or lesser degree of bondage. For the last 40 years, I feel like I've been totally free. Now, to go from that bondage to the freedom, there was a process that had to happen. And it's very tangible, very clear, very simple. Uh, but there was a, a, a real process so that... The Bible says, you shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. But it also says, hold to these teachings of mine, and then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And there are certain things that we have to understand clearly and do something about what we understand in order to have that freedom and have that leadership quality. Yeah, do you think, uh, do you think everybody has leadership potential, or is it... Uh, that's a Cause, great cause I think, question. I think uh, you know if I think of the, like the fivefold ministry in the New Testament, it's it's it seems to me that sometimes the pastoral heart is a little different than the prophetic heart, and, yeah, and, it is. and different than the yeah. and, and leaders have to be somewhat of a combination yeah. of, of things. Well, 
I'll, I'll answer your question this way. Well, yes, they do. And they do have to be accommodated. Like I, I, another thing concern, concerns me a bit is some people who, who kind of almost take pride and they're a great leader, but I'm not a shepherd. Well, you can't get away with that. If you're going to, if you're called a ministry, you've got to be a shepherd. So right. just suck it up and do it, you know. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and and then there's others who are shepherds who say, you know, I just don't, I'm just not capable of being that kind of a leader, of being a leader. Well, there's a person that I'm thinking of who know well, who came into our team as a part of the team, who was a wallflower of wallflowers of wallflowers. And I have worked, I worked with that person for 26 years, and the person is still on the team at our church. And I've been away from the church now for eight years. And uh, so you can imagine how long that person has been there. And that person is looked upon as, well, the number one leader in the whole church. And it's not; it doesn't even have a position that would say right, that they're right. a leader. But they but but leadership is influence, and this person is looked upon as the greatest influencer in the whole place. So, that her her temperament, her personality, would not be the kind that you would think was dominant enough or whatever to be a leader. But that almost made her a greater leader because people trusted her. And try, right, yeah, and, and there are different kinds of leadership. And, and by the way, sure. the number one thing in leadership is earning trust of the people. Not demanding, but earning. I, I heard uh, uh, General Mattis being interviewed on in 60 Minutes recently. He's written a book on leadership. And he said, and boy, these are, these are all key words here. He said, the number one thing in, he was asked a question, what's the no most important thing in leadership? And here's what he said. The ability, now that's a strong word right there, the right. ability to build trust. And when you think of what went into the building of our complex there, two or three hundred thousand square feet or whatever it is, and all the planning and all the money had to be raised, the complication and complexity of all of that, you just think of it, that's kind of what has to happen in order to build trust. And if we're not willing to build trust, the worst thing in this world is for somebody to expect people to trust them because of a title. That takes away trust. Right. Every bit of it has to be earned by gaining people's respect by our work ethic, our relationship with the Lord, our people skills, our vision, our creativity, our passion. There's just no end to the... But, and so you just have to knuckle down and do what you have to do. So there, are, according to that definition, you, you can look around the world and see a real vacuum of leadership. Because <laughs> like, people are leaning on positions, and you know. But the so when you when you look at when you drive up to the church in Moncton, then you you know for you it's a symbol of trust. Like these are, I built all these relationships, and yeah. that's what allowed. This and I to didn't happen. understand that at first, right? And that's what got me into. No, that's trouble, a great, that's a great see? word picture. And uh, and, and so uh, I, I think making those kind of comparisons, it, it's not necessarily easy. But who says it has to be easy? You know, it it it, it if the call is there, and the, and the cause for sure is there, then the commitment needs to be there, right? 
yeah. And one of the things that I've found with, with people, uh, and I work a lot, you know, it's mostly younger people and students, but I work with various age groups is, is like once, once people are convinced that you have their best interest at heart, you yeah. can, you can say almost anything to yeah. them. Yeah. And, and if they're, if they don't think you care or have their best interests, then almost everything you say is yeah. offensive. Well, well <laughs> you, you've hit on the head. You've hit the nail on the head. I heard Rick Warren being interviewed recently, and he was asked about uh, the the polarization that's going right. on. Right. You know, and and how how do you, how do your people not get off on all that extremism? And he said, because my people, they hear what I say to them, they believe what I say to them, because they know I love them. And they trust me. And I'm telling you what, you, you unless unless people trust you, you you don't you don't have a hope. Yeah, know? and I and I've, I've been to Saddleback, and you, you probably have too. And yeah. it's just it's an amazing, yeah. it's an amazing uh, you know ministry that they have going there. But it's not because it's not because he is the he's a good preacher, but he's not like the best yeah. preacher in the world, no, and he's right. not. Uh, he's not flashy, yeah. but he, but what he has feels really solid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't, you cannot lead your people if you do not love your people, and if you do not love your people and you're trying to be a leader, you tend to manipulate your people. Right. Yeah, and it feels really different if you're the person being manipulated. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you? Uh, what do you say? So this is a big, broad question. You can answer it however you want. But like, what do you what do you see for the future of the church? There's a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of negative press and doom yeah. saying uh, yeah. about the church. Well, I, you know, there's a key. There's a great word that uh, helps when you're asked a question like that, and the word is it depends. Right. <laughs> and and really, if if leaders understand what leadership really is. They're willing to pay the price of leadership like so many people in other occupations pay the price and people have paid the price down through the years that that have changed the course of history. Then there's a great future. But that depends if, because it just seems like people who, who say they were called are... are falling off like flies i mean they're just yeah i think crisis is clarifying right and it kind of clarifies well, who's who's yeah who's really in and who's not and, and, <laughs> and i would say whether i'm right or wrong the thing that concerns me the most and it always has concerned me is people putting their hand to the plow and not looking back as the bible says and people Here's what I think might be going on. And this is just my own version. I haven't yep. heard anybody else talk about this. But even in my day when I was born in a house where there was no running water, no uh, furnace, no uh, electricity, no phone, and so on and so on, it, 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 was, it was a different way of life. And, and people had it hard. And the people before that had it even harder. Well, now we've got it so easy. Everything is handed to us on a silver platter compared with what our forefathers and all throughout history people have had to, to deal with. I think there's a tendency, a subconscious thing, it should be easy in ministry. 
and it never will be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but but because but it may be. I'm just. This would be a question. I guess I don't know the answer to for sure. But it may be because we're having it so easy comparatively in every other way. We think it should be easy in ministry, and that ain't ever going to happen. Right. Yeah. And so how we how we frame things, our expectations, and the way we frame things just can make all the difference, yeah. right? And uh, exactly. we have we have students here that uh, like I would have to if you ask me like who who are who are the people that are standing out to you as students right now? You know, I would say it's it's our Haitian students yeah. and our Mexican students. They show up early. They they're ready to go when class starts. They are invested in their education in a way eh? that that Canadians and Americans maybe aren't. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're being nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's because they're you know they're used to hardship. They're used to adversity. Exactly. They're they're looking upon education as a privilege, not as a exactly. just something that they deserve. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you know, it's I'm telling you what. Said for that. When when I first went to Moncton, and oh my goodness, the pushback we got. Now, and I'm not blaming the people in, right. at all, totally. It's some it was, and I don't know what percentage of it would be because of my. Excuse me, my inexperience and all the rest. But I'm telling you what, I wanted to leave there more than anybody wanted me to leave. They got a petition <laughs> to vote me out. Right. And and I wanted to go more than anybody that signed that petition wanted me to go, and I signed the petition myself. <laughs> but God wouldn't let me go. Right. And yeah. you know, it's interesting. During that time, there's a delegation came from what was then the largest church in the Westland denomination, wanting me to pastor the church. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't leave Moncton. And and the somebody came to our visit our church in the summertime from that city, many three or four thousand miles away from us, and said, Do you remember me? And I couldn't remember. I said, This was back in the early 80s. And they said, well, we came here trying to get you to come to pastor our church. And, you know, it, it was this was a big city, lots of opportunity mm-hmm. and all the rest, no snow, warm <laughs> climate, and what have you. And, uh, and, and so, but I knew what I had to do. I had this call that, for Atlantic Canada because of the need in Atlantic Canada that is so desperate. And the mentality of Atlantic Canada that says it can happen everywhere else, but it can't happen here. And the only way they're ever going to believe it could happen here if somebody did it here. And so I was being very presumptuous that maybe we could contribute to that. And then he said, when he came, this guy said to me once I found out who he was, he said, we would give our right arm to have an auditorium like this. And now this was a place that had all kinds of unbelievable opportunity, and I thought, well, that's kind of a vindication of not not the most important thing, but right. at least helped a little bit that right. I did the right thing. Yeah, and that that call that you just I, I've had uh, I've had uh, Brent Ingersoll in uh, in in the room, kind of talking about these things as well. And uh, I I what you described as your call in in Moncton, I sense that same thing. For him, as, as uh, like uh, to to, he feels specifically called to reach the Maritimes. Well, you know something. Yeah. Let yeah. me just say this: you would not believe how encouraging and exciting that is to me. That right. there is somebody yeah. that has 
that kind of mentality and that kind of outlook because this place has been shortchanged over the years. Like there have been, over the last hundred years, there have been several churches that have emerged that could have continued to break barriers and really move forward. And the pastor gets a call to greener pastors and off he goes and it never happens. Right. That has happened time and time and time again. Several, I can name them all, uh, churches that have reached that place and and my thought was somebody has got to ref- refuse those opportunities right. and see it through. Yeah, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, and sometimes we have an inferiority complex in the Maritimes. Oh, where we, we're, where sometimes. We, yeah. Well, okay. I was yeah being nice, <laughs> You're all, being nice all the yeah. time. I often get I often get accused of like, did you? Are you American? I'm like, no, I was born in St. John. Well, everybody just, thinks that's but that you know, it's that yeah. can't do rather than yeah. the can do spirit. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, so I really, whenever I, whenever I see that in anybody, I always I'm drawn to those uh, to those people. So we should probably try to land the plane somewhere here. So if you if you uh, if you had like one thing you could say to kind of encourage the next generation. Uh, of of leaders in the church, what 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 would it be? What would you want to communicate? Well, I to guess them? maybe it's because of what I see as the biggest problem and the greatest need, and and that is that we be totally focused on what Jesus went to that cross for. When now here here here's something that would I'd love to. Sure, I just happened to think of it just now. Yeah. When Jesus had to face the worst thing anybody ever has to face, which was death, he said, not my will. Now, when I preach that, everybody says, oh, yes, not my will. (laughs) I mean, there's just total agreement. Right. Until something comes up that is their will. And then they forget they even agreed to that. They don't connect the dots. And, and one of the biggest problems in the church is people who have their own selfish agendas and it's what they want, their comfort. They think the church is for them. The church was never meant to be for us. It's only to build us up so we can reach the people outside the church that are lost and need Christ. And, and, and so uh, people would say to me over and over again, how is your church kept growing? And I said, it's complex. It's complicated. If I tell you the truth, and I, want to, I don't want to you know, gloss anything over. But if you want me to give a simple answer, this is a simple answer. Our people, in general, have moved from a selfish agenda, which the selfish agenda is what I want. They've moved from a selfish agenda, which is dictated by is this my comfort zone? Is this what I've always enjoyed? Is this what I'm used to? Is this what's going to make me happy? Is this going to be what's best for my family? Etc. Et it's me, me, me. They've moved from that agenda to an unselfish agenda, which says whether I like it or not, whether it's what I would prefer, whether it's my cup of tea, whether it's what's going to be best for me, if it can help us to reach more people for Jesus, I am 100% for it. And I guess my biggest concern, I think that has to be taught, reiterated, celebrated, testified to. It, it, I can preach a sermon along that line, and people be 100% agreement. And a week later, something comes up that has to do with what their preference is, 
as opposed to what's going to help us to get more people to Christ. Suddenly, their preference takes precedent. And, and, but if that's kept before the people, and we kept, listen, we kept that before our people so much that I had older people who have more difficulty with change. You know? right. uh, older people come up to me, all smiles. You know, Pastor, how I, don't, I hate this, but I'm 100% for it. And they were almost proud to do what they didn't like to do. Right. For the sake of the greater good. That's statesmanship. Yeah. Yeah. And when you, and, and if you're, I mean, if you've got any spiritual life in your heart at all, you will, if you see the next generation really getting it, yep. if none of the, none of the details of that will matter. Yep. Yeah. And I just love helping the older people to understand because you know, I'm, I'm one of them, believe it or not. <laughs> and, and they, they kind of have to take it from me. And I, I often say, you know, the things that you resist could be the best thing since sliced bread. And I was around when they first started slicing bread. I was. <laughs> and that was one of the most exciting things that ever happened. I think you've right. got a whole loaf of bread already sliced, you know. <laughs> right. It's just a cliche now, but it actually happened, right? It was a real, it was a real thing. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, taking the time to come and share. My today. pleasure. So, and, uh, loved, it. loved your questions. Okay. okay. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully everyone uh, that watches this, you enjoyed it as as much as as we did so we'll uh we'll kind of end there and i'll turn the camera off we'll edit it out later oh, that was great <laughs> well